When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Ealing Road Buzz. My name's Lee Wilmot. I'm joined by our Brentford writer, Tom Moore. Hi, Tom. Hello. And we've got Clive Yalton with us again this week. Hi, Clive. Hey, Lee. Um, let's get straight underway. Tom, Reading at the weekend, um, a victory. Um, how, how was it? Um, not the greatest of margins, but uh, a win's a win. I've always said an ugly win is better than a, a pretty loss, shall we say. Uh, was it ugly? Well... It wasn't uh, Brentford at their finest, but uh, ultimately it's uh, three points in the book. Is um, As they say in cricket, it doesn't matter how you score your runs, as long as you get them a, a thick edge through the slips for four, <laughs> is just as good as a, as a beautiful cover drive for four. So uh, three points is three points. They had to work hard for it. I think uh, they created the better chances. Reading may have had more possession, but that does tend to count them just passing the ball along the back four. So can't read too much into that and I'd just say that I think the thing that really stood out for me was in the last 10 minutes when uh, Sergi Khan asked Ryan Woods and Andreas Bjelland picked up yellow cards Brentford had taken the lead through uh, Lasse Vibe at the time uh, looking to hold on they all commit cheap fouls in and around the halfway line just to break up a red encounter attack and certainly Bjelland's reaction when he got a yellow card just raising thumbs up to the referee yep fine I get it I understand it was perfectly deserved yellow card I don't mind that that to me should have showed that they've matured as a team as well as that's something that they've lacked for many many years in a way I remember writing about it two years ago after a, a 1-0 defeat to Middlesbrough because Middlesbrough under Karanka were absolutely horrible to watch they they weren't a, a pleasant side at all. They they didn't play very good football, and but they would grind results out like that. They would make those cheap fouls. It was like while you don't want to watch it if you support the opposing team, you appreciate it when it's your team as well. So I, I think that that to me was one of the uh, the bit the big and most noticeable things from from Sasters that they seem to be. Uh, prepared to do some of the ugly side of a game in inverted commas or, or get get their hands dirty, do a few na- naughty things, as it were, to to win the game at almost all costs. As you'll never see a Brentford side really sort of throwing elbows about or things like that, making scything challenges like, like the one we saw on uh, young Ilyas Chatsotheodoridis in his Cheltenham debut Having joined there on loan, is uh, he got absolutely taken out, and it was a, a clear as day red card. Having seen the, uh, having seen the highlights of that, is you won't see them making those sorts of tackles, but it was good to see them, just making the odd trip in a, 
in the centre circle, as it were, to stop a counter-attack, let them get back into So being position. cynical, really. Yeah. I was, uh, yeah, was going to bring Clive in uh, <laughs> on that point, because um, just listening to you there, Tom, you're, you're condoning fouling, um, and I, I wonder how Clive will react to, to that sort mm. of the impression. It's, it's not the done thing, but I suppose it is part of football these days. I know what Tom is saying. It's the physicality, it's the doing the naughty the naughty stuff but blatantly being cynical I, I don't really advocate that I'm, I'm not one of those uh, people that think you should do but taking a taking one for the team is what they call yes. it isn't it you know if someone's running through you're going to bring a player down deliberately maybe there should be a harsher penalty for that rather than just a the yellow card it's always a straight yellow card isn't it every single time you, you break up a, a counter attack like mm. that the referee will always go to the to his book yeah Carl Robinson um, at Charlton has said the same thing. He he would because teams get away with it quite a lot. Mm. Why don't we do that sort of thing? He's as, actually said that. Mm. Why can't we do deliberate fouls and do this, that, and the other? Um, managers are thinking about doing that because other teams are getting away with it. So uh, it's as you say, Lee, it's part of football. Mm. And th- that, that's the thing is, if you can break up the play, stop the counter attack, you're you allow your teammates to get back and you also get a bit of a breather as well Is it, and it absolutely infuriates the other team as well and they can mm. then lose their heads I mean I've seen it multiple times against Brentford I mean I, I'm always happy to see a goalkeeper booked in stoppage time for time wasting mm. for instance I've got no issue with the goalkeeper holding on to the ball doing delaying tactics to try and win his team the game the problem is you can't keep doing that. You can only do it once, can't you? Otherwise, you, you're risking getting sent. As sent you off. say, Clive, all the while it's only a yellow card for That's players fine. in the centre circle. They'll, they'll keep doing it, won't they? People will keep doing it. It's, it's like it's like players who take their shirts off when they celebrate a goal. They know they are going to get booked. It's almost like I'm deliberately trying to get booked. And when people say it's a reaction to scoring a goal and it's all in the moment, well, it's not because they wouldn't do that a second time. If they then scored another goal they would not take their shirt off and get sent off. So I it's, I remember it's a seeing, premeditated act. I remember earlier in the season, um, Watford, Richarlison doing, doing just that. Mm. He'd been booked for uh, taking his shirt off, um, I think in a previous game it was, um, and he popped up with a, with a late goal. I can't remember which team it was against. And, and you see him running away and he kind of pulls his shirt like this and before he thinks better of it yeah. and puts his shirt back down again before running yeah. along the sideline to his manager. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it kind of does go through your mind but you can stop yourself from doing it. Of course it. you can stop yourself and you do. If you're on a yellow, you would not get sent off again for a, for a second yellow for that, I'm sure. Mm, I mean, I remember a Millwall player, I can't remember the name off the top of my head, I know it was a former Fulham, uh, I remember him getting booked for... Uh, taking his shirt off after scoring in the first half. It was a League Cup game uh, in 2014, for first round. and uh, he What a time to take your shirt <laughs> off and celebrate a goal, the yeah. first round of the League Cup. <laughs> and uh, he, he picked up a second yellow card uh, a bit later. I think it was Matthew Briggs, actually. Yes, well, that's the danger correctly. if you do that. He did get a second yellow card, but I remember Ian Holloway was not a happy bunny at the time for some I reason. said to my son the other day, we were watching something, a player got booked for celebrating like that, and I said, I hope he gets sent off later for doing something innocuous. Because they deserve it, in my opinion. But then, if we can take that back, is Aguero, when he scored that title-winning goal, is that was pretty much the last kick of the game. He's taking his shirt off. I can see that as being an absolute... I can see that as being caught up in the moment. Yes, but why take your shirt off? <laughs> what is that? What goes through your mind? Why? Ryan Giggs did it and revealed his chest. No one wanted to see that. No. 
Why do players think that people want to see them take their shirts off anyway? I don't get that. I'm, I'm quite sure. Uh, I'm quite. I'm quite sure some people do like it, though, Clive. I'm not. I must say, I'm not one of them. But I'm. I'm, I'm quite. I'm quite sure there's there, there are some people in, in the crowd that enjoy that. There's, there's got to be some common sense in that, though. You talk about Aguero, and it was the last minute, and he won the title for his team at that moment. And I think referees showed common sense and didn't book him or anything after that. Or, at least if he did, no one knows about it because uh, no one cares about it then. But yeah. we had the issue with Raheem Sterling and scoring that goal against, uh, was it Swansea? Um, that late, or Bournemouth, right late on in the 95th minute and he ran to the crowd um, and celebrated right in front of the crowd and then ran back and uh, was given a second yellow card and sent off mm. because he'd incited the fans. And you just that's, think, well, it's the 95th minute. He's just won the yeah. game for his, his team. That's just... Well, that, that happened in the game, isn't it? That happened on Saturday as well. Lasavibe bangs it home in front of just under three thousand Brentford fans, and when you're right in front of your team's supporters, it's natural instinct yeah. to go and celebrate with them because if you've got that connection with the fans, all the fans are happy, and you, is it really, really sort of helps? And obviously, I think sort of some people may have sort of got a bit too close to the pitch nobody reached the playing area but obviously you get people that are caught up in the moment yeah. but it's part and parcel of football and we all look at say the Aguero goal and you can, I'm quite sure you can certainly pick out goals that you remember more for the, the scenes in the crowd and the celebrations rather than the actual goal but why the shirt? Let's not draw the line there. Let's go for the shorts. <laughs> you know? let, let. Or socks. I'll be the first player to take my socks, boots and socks off during the game. What, you know. Didn't someone take their boot off when they scored a goal once? Probably. Probably. Although we do know your habit of giving clothes away. <laughs> <laughs> That's another story. <laughs> this, this is fast becoming a... Um, a podcast about yellow cards, uh, celebrations, referees, and let's not move it on to Clive's clothes as well. Let's get back to Brentford, shall we? Um, if I can talk properly for a moment. Um, I'll button if you like. Lionel, Lionel Road. We'll, we'll come in a minute, Clive, to what you want to bring up. Um, Lionel Road. Um, new ground hopefully being broken um, in March, so we understand, Tom. Well, by, by the end of March, is that, that's always been the plan, but you never know with these things. Is Obviously, a lot of talk is going on sort of behind the scenes as well. So you always, there's always the concern is, are there delays or anything like that? So to have just confirmation that it's still March is a positive sign. I think it's been... A good six weeks since the decision, so we know full well that there are discussions going on involving S one hundred and six, involving getting all the all the, the I's crossed, the T the I's dotted, the T's crossed, etc., and to get all of that done. So there's a lot of stuff that still needs to be done, but they still feel confident. I think the the interesting thing is more about the plans to move mid season. And I know they've always stated that that's going to be the plan, but certainly when you look at it, that is going to be a logistical nightmare mm. for, for the club because is let's just say for those that are on the, on the terrace, because obviously Griffin Park is one of the few grounds in the Championship. I think it's only Burton Albion is the other one that has, has a terrace and standing facilities is... You're going to have to move people that happily stand sort of where they like, and then you're going to have to maybe try and 
reposition them in, into a new stand. And I think that moving, especially those from the terrace, because you can pretty much, for those that sit in Braemar Road and New Road, you can pretty much, I imagine, make sure they can go into a specific place. But it's going to be getting that standing to seating shift that's really going to be the hardest thing and in my opinion I mean we could, we could certainly talk about it a long time and I think that's that's going to be the biggest difficulty and I think it's it would be just nice to see building work taking place I remember being at the uh, original planning meeting in December 2013 and it going on for about four five odd hours and listening to all of the voices in support the voices of rejection and of objection and then you're hearing the councillors waffle on and I must say part of it made me dismayed at local democracy because they clearly hadn't read the stuff so it, it was a long meeting and I know full well how long it's been going on I mean the site was first discovered um, well, not necessarily discovered per se but it was certainly first sort of pointed out as a potential stadium site back in 2002 time so we're talking 16 years from finding it I mean I know obviously Brighton they had a, a yeah. fairly long wait when it came to their their new ground at Falmer and obviously planning laws and buying land and all of that takes so much time and there's so much hassle I mean here we're in the middle of um, an office move and that's been delayed as well I mean it that, that's obviously a much smaller scale here you're building a 17,000 plus seater stadium plus all of the residential yep. areas is the contract and all the legal ramifications are going to be absolutely massive on that on that score I mean I walked past the site uh, this morning at about five o'clock and uh, the bird catches the worm yeah and it, it, it's just quite nice at times when, you, when you're sort of crossing over the bridge at Lionel Road South sort of look out and go well you know for well that's where the yeah. stadium's going to be and it's just quite nice to sort of look at it and you're sort of imagining it as well and it would be nice to sort of see a bit more work happening and you're seeing seeing things go up and all that and that, that's what a lot that's of that's when you kind of know that it's, it's actually is, happening Brentford fans have waited 16 years to see a, a brick being put in place yeah. so they will feel a lot happier and there's almost the I won't believe it's happening until I'm there yeah. and that that's the thing is it's so close oh we've got all the planning permission why can't we just build the stadium That that's the attitude you get from some of the supporters and I get that but it, it, is it I just get the feeling it's nearly there and it just needs a, the, the right move and, it, and then once it starts being built it'll be a very Interesting to uh, be watching it uh, yeah. build. Yeah, we've we've got the story on um, GetWestLondon.co.uk today um, from a long uh, chat Tom has had with uh, Chief Executive Mark Devlin uh, this week. Um, more stories to come. Can you give everyone a little sneak peek of what other things, other topics are to be discussed going through the week this week, Tom? I think one of the things that we, we discussed, and I mean, you can't get ahead of yourselves too much, but... Uh, I remembered sort of three years ago when Brentford had a decent start to, to the championship. I think we're talking more October, November time when when the question was asked about what would Brentford do if they got promoted. They'd had a decent start and all of a sudden you're thinking, oh, what could happen? Obviously with Griffin Park having terracing and I remember at a, 
a fans forum back in January 2015. There was sort of talk about it, and obviously at the time there was talk about ground sharing. Wembley was, they said, yes, fine, you can do it, but this is going to be what it, this was what it will cost you. Too prohibitive. Sort of pretty much same with Twickenham. Harlequin said no, and I seem to recall there being a lot of discussion about ground sharing. Obviously, the Premier League weren't overly keen on the terracing at this moment, uh, at that moment in time, but. The sort of feeling within the club now is that if they were to continue this good run of form and if they were to win promotion to the Premier League, they would be more hopeful of maybe getting dispensation because provided Lionel Road is being built and is on time yeah. and all that is hypothetically, it's only you're only saying. 18 months were Brentford to be in the Premier League for that long it's all very much a hypothetical of, of course and nobody's counting their chickens but you've got to prepare for it so their their hope is that were it to happen they could retain Griffin Park in as close to its current form as, as possible I mean other things we discussed because obviously Mark Devlin has been at the club for for over six years now is how the club's changed and he's sort of referred back to uh five years ago when, when they drew Chelsea in the FA Cup and how they had to get extra phones in, etc. to handle the demand for tickets. Fans stood and froze in the snow and the and the cold to, to purchase their tickets. Whereas now, were they to draw a similar tie, they've got all the infrastructure, ticketing infrastructure in place and able to do it without the fans having to, uh, yeah. to, uh, to freeze queuing up for tickets. So... Just talking about sort of the way that the clubs have moved on and developed and certainly like the introduction of the digital advertising hoardings and the improvements that have been going on off the pitch, which everyone can get carried away by what's happening on the pitch, but sometimes it's the off-pitch things. And I mean, the problem that anyone would agree with Griffin Park is it's well over 100, it's over 110 years old. It's... In London, I mean, the big complaints people would have about Griffin Park, and this is what Mark, Mark said to me, was sort of queuing up for food and drink at half-time. There's not much space to really have many food stalls. They do the best they can, I'd certainly say that, is the toilet facilities. They've added port there. I'm not a fan of port but you'd rather have something. Yeah. You'd rather not... <coughs> being at court short and um, you are a fan of the food stores though well, <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe more the beverage stores but uh, we'll gloss over that so, I mean they, they do a very nice uh, um, pork burger I think Another very nice I had one the other week it was very good excellent um, and um, obviously parking you in London that is an issue going to be an issue at Tottenham's new ground for instance at, at the Valley at Pretty much every ground in London, yep. you're going to have an issue with parking. So it is that is almost outside the club's control. Is that's always going to be an issue? They can't really do anything about that. So is Griffin Park has outlived its use, and as much as it would be sad to say to say goodbye to the old lady, as uh, Mark uh, referred to <laughs> referred to the, to the ground as, uh, is it, the club do need to progress, but it. it Certainly, that final day at Griffin Park is going to be an emotional one for everyone. This um, we'll move on from there. This being a podcast, you can't see what we're doing here, but Clive is 
clearly desperate to um, to say something over there. He's, he's got something that he wants to bring up with Brentford Clive. I was, but <laughs> now we've gone past that now. We were talking well, no, about let's come back to it. Well, <laughs> it's not about clothes, is it, Clive? <laughs> we're talking about the, uh, the win at Reading last yes. week. And I noticed you said about possession, which um, Reading had more of, 54 to 46. But the chances created um, by Brentford, 23 to 12 shots and 10 to 3 on target. That's pretty impressive away from home. It's not how, it's what you do with the ball, not how much you have the ball. Do mm. I mean, you ask anyone about possession stats, I mean, I, I must say my eyes sort of gloss over if you hear a manager, oh, we have more possession. Well done. Yeah. You kept the ball. Just look at when Leicester won the title and mm. how much possession yeah. they had in every game. Yeah, yeah. is at the end of the day, everyone will by and large forget is the stat that matters in football and is the one that is the one that's really recorded in the history books and that's goals. Mm. Is you can say all you like, oh we dominated the game, stats are backed up, you didn't score the goals. Mm. Ten years down the line you're just people are just gonna see oh they lost Oh, Brentford won one nil at Reading. Is they're not going to remember how it happened yeah. necessarily. Okay, those that were there may do, but it's not. It's not a result that's going to live too long in the memory. Is people may well forget that Lasavibe scored the winner a month in a month's time, mm. let alone ten years' time. I mean, but my point is they're making a lot of chances yeah. on the road as well, which bodes well for the for the running, doesn't it? I mean, in a, in a way, playing on the road, I think, has suited Brentford. So, uh, because a, a number of teams of Derby came and they took an early lead and then parked the bus. Um, Burton came, pl- tried to play for a nil-nil and only sort of came out, out of their shell and then went to goal down and got, got an equaliser. Barnsley came for a nil-nil. His teams, by and large, at the moment, seem to be coming to Griffin Park hoping to, to get a nil-nil. So, the fact that when Brentford are away, there's more freedom. Freedom. I mean, Brentford go to Derby in a in a couple in about ten days or so time. I'm quite interested to see how Derby are going to set up. Whether they're going to be more expansive and looking to attack more, or whether they're going to try and keep as compact as they did at, at Griffin Park. Surely the home fans would demand that they do. So yeah, that opens up spaces for the opposition. And, that, and that's the thing is that that's where that suits Brentford is. When you've got a team like Burton that just came put eleven men behind the ball, if you don't open them up early mm. in the first half, is you, you get frustrated. So when, when a side does that, you almost do need to get an early goal to uh, settle the nerves, and then you're going to get more gaps. Mm. I mean, I remember three years ago now when Blackpool came to Griffin Park, they were one of the worst teams I've ever seen in the Championship. I mean, they came, tried to keep it tight. Brentford scored a couple of goals early in the first half. Blackpool had a man sent off. Brentford won 4-0. And, the, and I know that stats are relatively meaningless, but the stats were pretty much the same as England versus San Marino earlier that campaign. It was that one-sided again. Funny you should say that, because... Blackpool are the worst team I've seen at the Valley playing Charles. <laughs> so let's not have any Blackpool bashing. Nothing wrong with Blackpool. Love, lovely town. Um, we have spent far too long talking about men's torsos um, on this podcast that we've run a little bit over time. So we'll just quickly finish off talking about this weekend. Um, eight, uh, sorry, not eight. Six of the eight teams above Brentford do not play this weekend. Tom and Clive, um, big opportunity for Brentford in their push. For promotion? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you can uh, 
get points through. on the board and all that. Yeah, I think so. Three points when every every other team isn't playing is absolutely vital. Um, I can only speak for what's happened uh, at the club I cover, Charlton. They've won three in a row. Two of them have been one nil. Not particularly spectacular, but they've managed to claw back nine points on Bradford City in in two weeks. Mm. So when the others aren't playing or they're not winning. You know, Brentford can go and capitalise on that this weekend. I mean, uh, is it, it's always the, uh, the the toss-up point points of the board versus games in hand. I mean, I I still remember the 05-06 season, Brentford two points clear of uh, of third place in League One and had two games in hand and still conspired to mess up promotion. So, is it can all come back and it's all swings and roundabouts, really? I'd say is. You've got, you can have all of these things. I mean, it's always just nice to get the points, and I think you have to look at it more as Norwich City team that Brentford are more than capable of beating. Beating, they beat them at Carrow Road uh, just last month. They can beat them at Griffin Park um, on Saturday. So I think it's more just look at it as three points. Don't worry about what other teams are doing or not doing. Is they're either going to be playing games Tuesday night, Wednesday night. I mean, I think you've had sort of games that have pushed back to the Tuesday night because of the uh, the cup ties. I mean, so it would have just been delayed then. And then you've got a shorter turnaround to the following Saturday. So it's all swings and roundabouts. And maybe playing that game less and being out of the cup can benefit them in that regard. So it's all very much up for grabs. And at the end of the day, I think still 18 or so games yep. left so one weekend won't, in January won't make a difference but keeping the momentum is quite clear the most important thing Excellent um, thank you very much I hope you all stuck with us um, through talking about chest rugs and uh, reached the end with us uh, all your latest news uh, about the bees is on getwestlondon.co.uk and we'll be back with another evening way class next week <laughs>